0: Welcome everyone to the Nerd Journey Podcast, episode number 215. We're joining you every week to talk IT career progression and bring you the advice we wish we'd been given earlier in our careers. I'm your host, John White, at vjourneyman on Twitter, joined by my co-host, well, more like joined in spirit by my co-host, Nick Cordy at network nerd underscore. Uh, Nick's out this week and so I'm just uh, flying solo. I hope everyone out there, including Nick is doing well. Just want to remind everybody that Nick and I are both pre-sales technical engineers with backgrounds in IT operations. We hope our current discussions will be vendor neutral, relevant across disciplines and remain timeless. If you're enjoying our content, please drop us a positive review on Apple podcasts or wherever you subscribe. And if you want to get in touch with us, tweet or DM at nerd journey. Ultimately, we're just two nerds on a journey, a journey. To career enlightenment, so let's take a trip. Uh, before we get started, I just wanted to remind people that our second site, graph.nerd-journey.com, is uh, now live. That's the knowledge graph and linked notes version of our main page's show notes that we developed to make it a little bit easier to explore our episodes, guests, and topics. So, for example, if you wanted to see every time we think we mentioned burnout. Um, You could go to the linked notes version of episode 215's notes and see the other episodes uh, where we mentioned burnout. But with that in mind, let's get to the episode. Uh, This is the second of two episodes that we did with Kate Donovan, host of Fried the Burnout podcast. The first episode was 214, and we talked about uh, the official World Health Organization definition of burnout. Uh, The differences between burnout, depression, and anxiety, patterns of burnout and mitigations for burnout, patterns of seeking help, and trends in corporations on helping with mental health. Today's episode, again, I wasn't there, and I'm really regretting it now because Kate is uh, really cool to uh, listen to, but make sure that you listen out for Kate's transition from one health business to almost accidentally starting another by first generating content. She has some interesting things to say about public speaking and uh, listen out for her interesting term anxiety. I thought I had to laugh when I heard that she has some interesting things to say about transitioning to charging money and, and really kind of the uh, the stress about charging money for services. Some really cool advice for content builders. And some discussions about entrepreneurship, uh, safety in entrepreneurship, and a breathing room as a business owner. Then we kind of close out with a discussion about breakout speakers versus keynote speakers. So without any further delay, let's get to episode number 215, the second of our two-part discussion with Kate Donovan.
1: mentioned you were doing some coaching. So how did that start? At what point did you say, you know what, I'm going to start coaching people? Or maybe they started asking you for coaching. I'm real curious about that.
2: That's exactly how it happened. So when I was going through my burnout recovery, I was in Prague and I had a huge patient list. I was booked solid all the time. And so I had this huge community of people that sort of knew what I was going through. They were reading blogs that I was writing, which are thankfully no longer to be found on the interwebs because they were not my best work, but, you know, it was early. And
1: Proof of work is proof of work, right?
2: Exactly. And I had a few people start saying, you know, actually, I need some help with that. Could you help me? I need some help with that. Could you help me? I need some help with that. Could you help me? So I started doing it, and I was doing it for free or, like, barely charging i think my first full client i was still in prague and i charged them and i charged them in Czech potatoes and it was an absolute ridiculous thing to do but i wasn't building a business i was just helping people and i wanted there to be some sort of exchange so i created a minimal exchange and that was sort of that
1: a little skin in the game so that they'd be committed to it
2: exactly and so that built over time when i got back to the states and ruptured my Achilles i had half of my book written and I knew that that was a really good opportunity for me to finish the book because I wrote half the book on vacation in Croatia, well, sort of like a solo vacation, and then couldn't get back to it because I was back to life. And it's hard to write a book during normal life when you're not a full-time author. It's, it's yeah. just, it's a lot. So I had half of a book finished when we were still living in Europe. Then we moved to the United States in between times. Then I ruptured my Achilles and I thought, well... I can't go anywhere for a few months. I might as well finish my book. At that same time is when I started the podcast. I did 35 interviews in like five weeks and did, I was like, season one, fried the burnout podcast. Here we go. You know?
1: Yeah.
2: I wasn't doing anything else. I had just gotten here. I didn't even have friends. I didn't, (laughs) I had nothing going on. So this was the perfect thing to do. And then once the podcast was out, I did not do the podcast to get clients. That was completely not part of the plan at all Mm -hmm. about a year in people started asking what my coaching packages were and I was like I I don't know uh I don't know I'm
1: gonna need your firstborn child
2: yeah like can you send me like do the buy me a coffee thing and like I don't know Uh, so that sort of everything sort of built on itself before at some point it becomes intentional right once I knew that I could use the podcast for lead generation then in the front of every podcast, I say, by the way, you can hire me to be your coach, you know? like So now it's a very intentional thing, but it did not, absolutely did not start out that way.
1: So many different ways that so we can take things. the conversation I know, I know, from I here. Know. Okay, so first thing I wanna ask is, why write a book? What's the motivation for you to write a book? I've, I've talked to other people who have, and I'm always curious about that, so.
2: Do you know the Charles Bukowski poem? So you want to be a writer by Charles Bukowski? Oh, I have not. It's heard hard of this for me one. to say Bukowski and not Bukowski because Bukowski is the proper pronunciation, and I speak fluent Polish, so it bothers me. But it, everybody says Bukowski. I read this poem when I was a senior in high school, mm-hmm. and I knew while I was reading it that someday I would feel like this. So the poem is titled "So You Want to Be a Writer," and it starts. I'm not going to read the whole thing. It starts off like this: If it doesn't come bursting out of you in spite of everything, don't do it. Unless it comes unasked, out of your heart and your mind and your mouth and your gut, don't do it. If you have to sit for hours staring at your computer screen or hunched over your typewriter searching for words, don't do it. If you're doing it for money or fame, don't do it. Wow. This idea of having it be so full inside of you that you just had to get it out really hit me as an 18-year-old. And when I was going through my burnout recovery and I spent a year reading research, because again, nerd, I read through all this research. I went through my own recovery. Some of the research matched me and most of it didn't. And so I was kind of like trying to figure it all out. And I had all of this information built up in me. And I felt like if I didn't get it out into a book, I was never going to be able to learn anything else again in my life. (laughs) Like, I felt so full that I couldn't help myself anymore. When I sat down to write when I was in Croatia, within seven days, I wrote 20,000 words. Wow. Because I was just like,
1: Backed up in 10 places. Yes. That is impressive.
2: So so to me, it was not a question of like writing a book for anything other than creating space in my brain and body so that I could keep going.
1: You needed to get it out. Yeah. I
2: needed to get it out.
1: And was this the bounce back ability factor or something different?
2: Yes. This is the bounce back ability
1: factor. Okay. We'll make sure and put the link to that in the show notes so people can go and check it out. Once you write the book, you feel like you've gotten it out. I am I imagine you're super proud of an accomplishment like that. It's a big deal to be a published author. And we don't have issues with copyright laws like Charles Dickens did when he wrote A Christmas Carol. But did that also add to reputability for the coaching business?
2: 100%. And more, more so than for the coaching business for the speaking business.
1: Okay, so that came... Were those starting about the same time, or...?
2: They all kind of came and went-ish and built off each other, so all the same time-ish.
1: Now, had you always enjoyed public speaking, done drama or something like that, or...?
2: No, no drama, but... This is going to sound annoying, but I'm going to say it anyway because it's true. School was always really easy for me growing up, and I remember, even as a child, as an eight-year-old, a seven-year-old, sitting in class watching my teacher explain something seeing other people in my class not understand it and thinking to myself if i was up at the front of the room i would say it different now sometimes even when i listen to myself i think oh i would say that different now so so i have less judgment for those people now than i did as an 8 year old but i have always wanted to be at the front of the room the person explaining the things and i'm happy always happy to leave my own words behind and find another way in that suits a listener, a student, a participant.
1: To turn the light bulb on.
2: To turn the light bulb on because I I love teaching. So for me, speaking is about connecting with people in a way that allows them to experience a shift within the hour that we have together. Will they change the rest of their lives? Some of them. But what I really want is for one thing to open up inside of them and for them to say, "Whew, what a relief. I'm not alone. I can do it different. There's a different option. I didn't realize. That's all I'm looking for. So that's always been a part of me. I've always known that I was going to stand in the front of the room in some capacity.
1: That's so cool. And you never like you never taught classes or anything?
2: I did actually. Yeah, so when I was in Poland the first corporate event that I did was a stress management event in 2009. I was like 5 years old and um I did it for a C-suite group all men, all 50 plus. And here I come, I was like 25, (laughs) like bustling into the room like, hey guys. Uh, Maybe I was 27 at the time, but still I was young. And um, after that, I spent the next six or seven years in Europe teaching acupuncture skills to acupuncturists. So I was teaching at acupuncture schools. I was doing weekend workshops in acupuncture I was teaching emotions. I was teaching orthopedic style acupuncture. I was teaching scalp acupuncture. I was teaching all of these like things that people in Europe don't always have access to because the schools are not as robust as what we have in the states. So I would teach a hundred people at a time for sixteen hours over a weekend, half the time in Polish. Wow. Or sometimes in Czech.
1: <laughs> How about nerve nervousness? I mean, there's a difference between I want to be the person up there at the front, and once I am, oh my goodness, this is kind of nerve-wracking. How was it for you?
2: I mean, always have sweaty pits, no matter what.
1: I'm with you on that.
2: Always. And for me, I, I call it excited. So I'm like anxious, but excited. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I try to combine that energy into one. There's always going to be, no matter how good you are, no matter how you show up, there's always going to be somebody in the audience that hates you, just because that's what it's like to be a speaker. And so... I've learned to tune more into my own authenticity and my own integrity and really show up and be the person I want to be on stage, then try to adjust to what I assume the the one or three people in the room that don't like me, what they might need from me in order to change their minds. Most of my life was spent the opposite way around. Which is part of my burnout story. Like, oh, these three people don't like me. Well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna change their minds. I'm gonna shift and adjust and function differently so that these people can't say anything bad about me. I don't do that anymore. I just like, I just let those few people really dislike me. I just got some feedback from a speech. It's really funny. It was a full conference. There were, I think, uh, nine other speakers that were outside speakers. And then there was a couple of internal speakers Mm -hmm. of the nine speakers. I got the highest like grade from, from the class. Like this was our favorite and it was by like 12 percentage points. It was a, it was a pretty significant difference. And so I was like, well, that's really cool. And then it said, you know, 75% of the people said that this was incredibly useful. (laughs) It said 2% of the people said this was a total waste of their time. (laughs) And it's always going to be like that.
1: I guess for the person who is deathly afraid of public speaking, they're probably afraid that it's more like 50-50 or, or more people right. than not are going right. to hate what they say or I'm afraid I can't answer all the questions or they're going to ask me something I don't know the answer to. And
2: Right. right, I'm not afraid to say I don't know if I don't know something. That's number one. Number two is I aim to speak to audiences that I feel a resonance with. So there's some a fellow speaker who speaks on joy, was told to go talk to a group of civic leaders who were like burnt out. And she went in there being like, be happy and she got bad reviews, but it wasn't because she was a bad speaker. It's because she had the wrong audience. So you have to, uh, as a speaker, you have to understand that part too. Like if you're not choosing the right audiences, if you're not being selective about that, if you're just taking anybody who will pay you and you're not paying attention to that factor, you're not gonna be as successful.
1: This is market fit. Amen. Yeah. So I wanna go back to the the people paying money for you to coach them. Well, I think if you've been doing something for free for a while, Whether it's speaking, coaching, then you decide, okay, this is worth paying money for. Now I have to start asking for money. I'm curious about maybe the kind of pressure that puts on a person like yourself or any kind of mindset shift you have to go into once you decide this is going to make me money and I now need to ask for it because I believe that it's of a certain caliber.
2: I don't like to admit this, but it's torture. I'm supposed to be like a strong businesswoman and be like, well, the prices are the prices and like get over it, bro.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Deal with the bro, that's it.
2: Yeah, exactly. But I don't feel that way, especially growing up uh, how and where I grew up. The prices that I charge now are absolutely not reachable for people I grew up with. It's not within the range. And when I charge less, I'm resentful. So- we're back to market fit. I have to mm-hmm. choose the people that I will serve in order to ensure that the exchange that I'm getting for my time and money is at least equal, if not more to my benefit. Now, for me, one of the things that helps me have higher prices is that there is social justice automatically built into my business, fried. I do a weekly podcast that is absolutely free. That takes up a lot of time and money. I did the math recently, and if you add in the hours that I work per an hourly rate, plus the money that I spend on the editing and the, you know, social media and the equipment, I'm in a podcasting studio that I built in my home right now. And she's you know, got like, the
1: fried background. I love it. I've got I need the fried background. Listen to this. This
2: is the best thing. Like it's a shower curtain.
1: Oh, that's so cool. I think Neil Thompson has one of those too for Teach the Geek.
2: It's so great. So I, I, did, I did the math and what I realized was that producing the podcast with between time and money cost me anywhere from 30 to $40,000 a year. And that to me is something that must be paid for through speaking and coaching. So when you are paying me to coach you, first of all, The money that you're paying me is worth what you're getting because it's not about how much I cost, but about how much this changes your life. If you deal with burnout now, you will be healthier for the rest of your life. This could potentially save you hundreds and thousands of dollars in healthcare later down the line. So the few thousand dollars that I charge is minimal compared to what you save by actually getting this stuff, you know, in some sort of order now. Um, In addition, you get back to work and get back to earning money a lot faster if you've taken time off, not everyone does, if you go through the process with some assistance. So if you were going to be off for two years trying to DIY this and I can get you back into work after seven months, then you now have 13 months of earning that you wouldn't have had if you didn't work with me. So I think the actual transformative value of what I offer is well justified. And if you are someone who was lucky enough to be able to pay it, you should want to contribute to the fact that I do these other things, Right. that there are people that can't afford to hire me, but they do have fried that they can use. And they have a Facebook group that I answer questions in for people. I'll answer anything the same way I would answer it for a client. I don't hold back. So if the only thing that you can get is fried and then some questions in my Facebook group, and then I offer free office hours for people four times a month. You can come in and ask me anything and I will answer you the same way I would answer a client. I do all of those things so that people that don't have those resources can still access help.
1: And you're giving people the opportunity to take advantage of your services by using, using funds, which then furthers the mission and purpose of what you're doing. I like that, that's really cool.
2: Exactly, so that's built into my business structure. Automatically and I that was a way that helped me balance out like yes I'm asking for a significant amount, but long-term. I'm saving them a ton of money a and B This is almost like a donation to make sure that people that don't have the resources can have access to as many things as as possible
1: so when you first started the podcast it was just you, right? You did you hire someone to edit and do no. all that stuff or are you doing it all?
2: No. No, listen to this. I had a really expensive microphone and I didn't know that a microphone had to be like suited to a room. <laughs> so I and my foot was in a cast because I had just had Achilles surgery and I was in my mother's living room because living in my brand new apartment where I didn't know anybody and had to walk the dog twice a day when I couldn't walk was not feasible. My husband was at an office from nine to five. So I went home, I went to my parents' house. So I'm sitting in my mother's living room with this very expensive mic plugged into my like mini Mac and the first season, the sound is terrible, but I had no idea what I was doing. I recently got a review on the podcast that was like, I wish people knew that it's not that hard to make a good sounding podcast. And some of us have um, hearing disabilities and it makes us really not want to listen. And I was like, I'm really sorry. I tried really hard. I didn't know. <laughs> like, it's much better now if you just skip to season two and a half. Like, it's much better after season two and a half. And I understand their complaint and I think it's justified. But I just had no idea. I learned how to edit by myself. I was doing the show notes by myself. I was doing all of it alone for, it'll be four years that I have the podcast this June, June 2023, and it was April 2021 that I started paying someone to do it.
1: Took a, took a lot of load off, right?
2: six to eight hours a week between the editing and the show notes and the social media. And the, it takes, a, it's a full working day to get this stuff done.
1: I can sympathize with that.
2: Yeah, right. And I was starting this degree and I was like, I cannot do schoolwork, run a business and spend a full day a week on the pod. I, I did, there's just not enough hours in the day.
1: What about advice for those content creators out there who who want to start a podcast or want to start a YouTube channel or blog or something like that? What would you tell them as a word of encouragement and maybe a word of caution if they want to turn it into a business.
2: Keep it simple. You don't have to do all the things right away. My podcast didn't sound great in the beginning, but as soon as I realized that that mic wasn't great, I literally recorded the next over a year of my podcast on plug-in Apple headphones, the ones that come free with your phone, into my tiny little Mac that really could not handle the processing because it was like old and crumbling and it still was okay. So you might need to lower your expectations a little bit. You might need to be really careful about deciding how often you wanna publish. Once a week is a very significant amount. It doesn't seem like it's a lot. I have a whole week to do a show. No, you don't.
1: Can't do it the day before. It's just not. <laughs> no,
2: it's just not gonna work out that way. And you don't have to do anything like anybody else. If you wanna give people a three-minute tip every morning, record it and post it. Don't use an intro. Don't use an outro. Don't bother. Keep it simple. Just let get it out there because you're not going to find out if you love it and if it really fuels you until you're really doing it. So if you produce something and it's terrible, but you love it, you can shut it down, start fresh, and then really dig in. But don't really dig in right from the get-go. You know how many people are selling podcasting microphones on Facebook Marketplace because they made nine episodes of a podcast with a $600 microphone that they never needed?
1: I think John and I told ourselves that if we got to 100 episodes, we would actually invest in semi-expensive gear. Yeah. Otherwise, we spent like, I think, $80.
2: Exactly. So, and the microphone that I use now, which is a very common mic in the podcasting space, came with the boom arm and the headphones and I got it for $130 on Amazon.
1: And it sounds fantastic.
2: Sounds great. There's no problems here. So you don't need to, of course. And then I I had an extra walk in closet in my house that I built into a podcasting studio. But you know what I did? I ordered some felt pads on Amazon and I taped them to the wall. They are taped double sided taped to my wall. When I say I built out a studio, I don't mean that I had somebody professional come in here and like do it up. I taped things to the wall. It
1: works. It's not like you had a, another room built onto your house, right?
2: No, no, I don't and I don't have like a she shed.
1: I could just I could just visualize that right now. You got the one that they come and build for you from Home Depot or yeah. Lowe's and that's yeah, the exactly. podcast studio. Yeah.
2: I mean that would be cool. Like that, I I wouldn't mind that. That's fine.
1: That's so cool.
2: Keep it simple. Don't don't make it more difficult than it needs to be. Don't expect to hit a thousand downloads quickly unless you are already like real popular. And do not please do not please please do not expect your friends and family to listen to you. They do not care and it's not because they don't love you. It's because they already listen to you talk and they don't need to listen to you on a podcast to. So I see a lot of complaining in the podcast space, like, my friends aren't supporting me. They're like, yeah, because they listen to you talk about this stuff in real life. (laughs) They're done. They don't want to hear it.
1: Yeah, they already heard part of the show.
2: Yeah, like they know the show. Well, they can ex- they know what you're going to say before you know what you're going to say. They're not interested. Don't expect them to listen to
1: it. I think my wife would be like, oh, yeah, I pretty much know what he's going to.
2: Yeah, of course. My husband has never listened to an episode of my podcast. Never.
1: I think my wife has listened to a couple, but I'm not sure if she would admit to listening to more than that. But that's a different it's a different discussion. So I want to know, Kate, what would you tell the potential business owner? here's what it really takes to get off the ground with a business. Here's what you're really taking on and what I wish I knew before I started. It's a loaded question.
2: Yeah, this is a lot to dig into and mostly because I've only ever worked for myself. Oh, okay. So I can't tell you a lot of the differences between like, well, this is what it's like to work for somebody else and then this is what it's like to be in your own space because I've only really ever worked for myself. If you dislike having inconsistent Income, entrepreneurship is not for you. (laughs) It's just not. If you need to have a check come in every two weeks, it's not a good idea to do this. If that makes you feel, and we're back to the conversation about safety. If that level of financial security is what you need to feel safe, then it's not gonna work out. Safety for me financially means that I have the ability at any given moment to earn as much as I need. Because I can go above and beyond whenever if, if I need money for something, I can create an extra course. I can do more advertisement. I can I there's other things I can do. My husband, if he needs more money, he can't do anything. There's no wiggle room there. I can't survive like that. I don't I don't like that. I like being in control of it. But that's my safety. That's my version of what feels safe. If your version of what feels safe is financial stability and a check every two weeks, it's probably not a great idea. That's number one. Number two, build the business the way you want it to run in the future. And by that, I mean, if you are expecting to work 20 hour weeks so that you have time to bring your kids to school, pick them up, whatever it is you want to do, spend time with your family, cook dinners, go for a run, take more vacations, work as a nomad. I don't know what you want, whatever it is you want. If you're expecting long-term to only work 20 weeks, build the business only working 20 hour weeks. Because I promise you that as an entrepreneur, you will fill your days quite easily with who even knows what. Sometimes you don't even know what you're doing or why. And suddenly you'll be working 40, 50, 60 hours a week. And then you'll say, well, once I get it going and once I'm making enough money, I'll cut back. No, you won't. Nobody does. That doesn't happen. Build it the way you want it to run.
1: I just have to hustle, Kate. It's hustle culture, right?
2: Right. No. Mm-mm. What, what is it? Is it um, Parkinson's law that says that the task takes as much time as you have to do it?
1: I know the phrase, but I don't know the proper term.
2: Yeah, I think it's called Parkinson's law. And this is absolutely true. So if you have to build a business in 20 hours a week and have those other 20 hours a week to do whatever the heck you want to do with them, you better do that from the get go. Because you can post to social media in five minutes or three hours. Trust me, I've done both. If you have the time, you're going to use it. I do not take calls on Mondays or Fridays. Don't take them. Don't take coaching calls on those days. If I take a call on those days, it's because I want to connect with somebody, some sort of networking something, a friend, something that I want to do that's extraneous, I'll do. But you cannot go onto my schedule and book a call on a Monday or a Friday because they are completely closed from now until forever.
1: Nice. I like the boundary setting there.
2: Right. To me, it's, I don't want to worry about, my husband has a corporate job. Sometimes he's traveling somewhere and I can go meet him for a long weekend. I don't want to have to cancel my Friday to go do that. That's my value is using the privilege that we have to enjoy my time on this earth with my husband. So if he says, I have to be in LA next week, do you want to come out on Friday and we can spend the weekend? Yeah. Do I care if I fly back on Sunday or Monday? No, you wanna know why? I don't take calls on Mondays anyway.
1: And you can only do that because you work for yourself.
2: And I can only do that because I work for myself. And because I trust that I can do enough work in the other three days of the week to earn the kind of money I wanna earn.
1: And I'm imagining that because you're setting the boundaries on Monday and Friday, it helps you keep the energy up for those other three days that I imagine are probably pretty intense.
2: Yeah, and that's fine because I know that if I feel like doing stuff on Friday and there's some admin things I need to take care of, I take care of them and they get done faster because I'm not interrupted every 25 minutes by a phone call. I sit down, I put on a focus timer, I put on, I do really well, and this isn't a thing for everybody, but I do really well with focus music on YouTube. I'll put it on for three hours. I set a timer for 45 minutes at a time. I work straight for 45 minutes. When it dings, I get up and I leave my room. Sometimes I go to the bathroom. Sometimes I drink water. Sometimes I, it doesn't matter. I just have to get up, leave the space, and then I come back and do it again. I get so much stuff done in that time because I'm not distracted.
1: Yep, and you're not surfing social media.
2: But I do that when I feel like it. Yeah, I'm not like clicking through Facebook. And I mean, I love Facebook and I love Instagram and I love LinkedIn and I love all the social media places. I mean, I'm I'm as bad as anybody. But when it comes to setting myself up for how I want to work and for engaging with work when I feel like it. Those are my decisions and I own them. Once I start to feel resentful, that my calendar's a little too full, that some, I start to look again and that's when I take stock. Okay, what's going on? Why am I so busy? Have I offered help to too many people? I do a lot of free like, hey, Kate, I need help with this speaking thing. Can you help me figure this out? Hey, Kate, I'm trying to do this. Can you help? Yeah, I, I mean, I talk to everybody. So every once in a while, I have to not take networking calls for like a month because I'm like up to here.
1: That's a good point.
2: But you can only know that if you're paying attention to how you're feeling and, and using it as a tool instead of just being like, oh, everybody's taking advantage. No, they're not. You offered your time, they're using it, cool. But if you're mad about it, change the rules.
1: Right, and you know your baseline. And you know yeah. you're, oh, I'm above the baseline, got to do something. I love that. More of us need that kind of self-realization and maybe self-measurement, I guess you would call it. I'm wondering, when you own a business, you it sounds like you have a team that works for you now as part of the business. Yeah, ish, yep. What is the mind of a CEO like? Oh, I have no idea. Because <laughs> I mean, I, you're a business owner, kind of like a CEO.
2: Yeah, I don't know. Okay.
1: Okay. Fair point. I wouldn't
2: even be able to answer that question. I'm not at that stage yet. I still have a hard time releasing control over some things, some things I've learned to let go of. But I my understanding from talking to other people is that CEOs is much more of like delegation and management. I'm still in the trenches over here. I'm not CEO style just yet. Maybe someday I will. Maybe I won't. I'm not sure if that's where I want to be or not. I might want to be there in 10 years. I might need a little bit of a different thing. But right now, I want to be in the trenches. I want to be on the stages. I want to be with my one-on-one clients. I, I desire those moments. And I don't think CEO mind is is that. But I could be wrong, I don't because I don't know.
1: Fair <laughs> enough. Fair <laughs> enough. I imagine, you, I mean, you, you've got to think about direction of the business like a CEO would. And, okay, how can I expand my market share or how can I reach new audiences, connect with new audiences? I want to grow the business or I feel good at this size. Let's do this differently. Those kind of things pop into my mind.
2: Yeah, I think, like I I mean, I've owned my own businesses since 2007. And before that, I was a bartender, which is basically working for yourself because you're working on tips and tips alone. You're You're selling yourself to get paid. So I feel like even then I was kind of working for myself. And I think that one of the things that I have learned over time is that planning too much in advance and deciding how I want things to be sometimes blocks the ability of the business to grow in a way that's surprising and even more fulfilling to me. So if I give the business a little bit of breathing room and watch what unfolds, I can sometimes follow that and lean into the things that are working so that things are easier rather than trying to build something and pull everything along behind me. So I can be the caboose of the business instead of the engine train.
1: That's a good analogy.
2: You have to have some sort of like I can pull the brakes back there. You know, like, I can make things stop. But I didn't know what Fried was going to do. I had no idea. Recently, I've been, people have been sort of inquiring, can I start a podcast for their company within the company? Oh, cool. Yeah. So that their people can get to know each other better and they can increase trust and vulnerability because they know each other's stories and we hasn't come to anything yet, but that was not on my business plan because I didn't even know that was a thing. So if I would have created these like really strict rules about where I'm going, I might have missed this like beautiful right turn that could be happening. I don't want to miss the beautiful right turns. I don't know what's best all the time.
1: Yeah, you remain open to what could be. I like it. We we were talking about business direction. One type of entity that sets direction for businesses is a board of directors. And you've actually served on a board of directors for the New York City National Speakers Association, right?
2: Yes, I'm still on the board, yeah.
1: Tell me about what made that interesting. And for those who may not know, what does it take to, to be part of the board of directors of something?
2: The most difficult part for me and the part that is also most valuable to me right now is learning how to teamwork. (laughs) I'm really good at doing things by myself and it can be difficult for me to wait for people to come to a consensus. But having a board, the beautiful part about it that I didn't realize before is that when we're all in the room together, we all have such different perspectives that sometimes somebody comes out with an idea and the idea flourishes immediately because people go, oh yeah, and, 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 and we say, oh, well, that's clearly a good idea. How it is going to end up is a whole different story, but Clearly, there's some good energy behind this, and we should look into it more. Or somebody says something, and on initial thought, it sounds fab, and everybody's like, ooh, and then people start saying, yeah, but what about, and did you consider, and how would we handle, and then you're like, oh, this is one of those things that we put on the good in theory list, not good in practice, and then you can allow yourself to release your hold on this idea that you have that you think is so great. And you don't have to have it take up any more space in your brain or your body because you've had people check it out with you and there's too many holes in it. And maybe it will transform into something else in the future because it'll still be somewhere in the back of your brain percolating. But for the most part, you can release it. And I think it's really a powerful thing to be able to let go of ideas that are just not going to work. I was talking to someone who wrote out a full business plan, ran all the numbers, took over a year, had people come in from abroad to work on this project. to And when they finally got down to the final set of numbers, they looked at it and they were like, oh, this isn't actually viable. Oh, wow. Yeah. But that happens every day. So I think having a board and or having a, a group of trusted advisors of some sort that you trust to poke holes in things, not for the sake of like bumming you out, but just to ensure your eventual success is an incredibly powerful group because it can save you so much time, money, and headache from doing things that are just not actually viable even if they sound like great ideas right now. And the, the, the shift might be, well, it wasn't viable the way I was talking about it, what makes it viable? In the situation with my friend? the thing that made it viable went against their values. So they were like, well, we can't, we can't do it this way. So can you sell that idea then? Sure, somebody else doesn't have those values. Somebody else can use this. You can sell a business idea that way if you want to, but you know, sometimes it's good to have people around you that can both build up your ideas and make them better, and break down your ideas so that you can let them go.
1: And it's another place you can belong, part of that board, the full circle.
2: Yes, there's a huge sense of belonging on the NSA NYC board. We are definitely a crew.
1: That's so cool. Any special qualifications somebody needs to serve on a board of directors besides a willingness to be a part of it?
2: No, willingness and a network. You've gotta know the people that are gonna ask you. I mean, most, most board positions don't pay, so you have to be willing to volunteer your time.
1: It's all about time. Makes sense. Just like you volunteered some to be on this podcast. So I'm going to ask one more and then we'll shut it down. You are a keynote speaker. Some people like myself have done technology conference sessions. I've never done a keynote. What do you think are the gaps between somebody who might be a really good breakout session speaker and getting to that level of, okay, this is keynote worthy?
2: Yeah. So there's a a book called The Referable Speaker um, by Michael Port and I forget the co-author's name. Sorry, friend. And in this book, they explain this. They break this down really well. And they call it the difference between being in Expertville and being in Visionary Town. Expertville is breakout sessions. You are going to break down for people what they need to know. And you're going to teach them a method of how to get from A to Z. And you're going to it's just knowledge. It's as much as knowledge and just knowledge at the same time visionary town is changing people's hearts is getting people to think a different way is more inspirational and can still teach people something but the shift you're aiming for isn't more knowledge. It's more wisdom.
1: Sounds like more impact.
2: Not necessarily, because say somebody comes to your breakout session and they are stuck at a level in their IT career and they learn a new set of skills that they didn't even realize they were missing. And then they go back to their office and they say, hey, I could do this. And then they get that promotion they've been waiting for for three years. That's massively impactful.
1: 100%. Yeah. That's
2: that's huge. It's a different kind of impact, both equally important. I don't think one of them is more important than the other. I don't think one of them is better than the other. I like living in visionary town because that's what suits my heart. But we need people to be living in Expertville. We need people there. We need people that are teaching concrete tools to get through specific problems.
1: I've never thought of it that way. That's so cool. I'm going to go pick up that book.
2: Yeah, it's he. He really breaks it down, into, and I probably got the town and the ville mixed up or something. But that—that's the the basic premise. And it really, I think that's a great question that you asked. And I think it's really important to have this differentiation because when you're getting up on a stage to keynote, you have to bring all of your good energy with you. You have to really like boost yourself up so that you are giving people everything that you've got.
1: And that's why you're so drained after it. You don't
2: have to do that in a breakout room. Yeah. Right. In a breakout room, you just have to go and tell people what you know.
1: Yeah, I would agree with that. And maybe, you know, maybe you get to the point where you can sprinkle in more energy, more excitement, more enthusiasm. Sure.
2: But not everybody has to want that. You can be a breakout speaker, a breakout room speaker for your entire career and make a good money and have a good life. Like there's there's no reason that everybody has to be a keynote. Not everybody's designed to be a keynote. That's okay.
1: I like that. I really like that. Got to take those. Take the snaps. Do some speaking engagements, even if it scares you. It's really good for your professional development. So many people we've talked to, Kate, it really they is. did that first breakout session and it really broke something loose to get people to notice them and in their professional development.
2: Yeah, it's huge. It can do huge things. So I don't think the impact is is less at all in those rooms. It's just different.
1: Well, Kate Donovan, this has been an amazing conversation. I really appreciate you taking the time. Where can people find you if they want to follow up after this?
2: The best place to find me, all things me, is at friedtheburnoutpodcast.com.
1: Smash that subscribe button. Thank you so much, Kate.
2: Thank you.
0: Oh man. Just once again, I really wish I'd been there for this discussion with Kate Donovan. The interesting thing about listening to her kind of almost accidentally starting a business, building a business by building out a community first and then building content and then being asked to present that content and then having a business to do that. Uh, Just almost backwards, right? almost backwards to how I would think about that. Her discussions about authenticity and integrity to herself, uh, rather than trying to please everyone in the audience, I thought that was super valuable. And then the advice on building a business, you know, build it to be the way that you want it to operate, kind of in a steady state, as opposed to being super busy and then thinking that you'll back off if, if you don't actually want it to be super busy all the time. Just really interesting, uh, strategic points of view for somebody who's gone through it. Just really cool to to get a tip like that. Uh, Even stuff like too much planning can block growth into organic directions. Again, somebody who's gone through it who can kind of spot some of the potential landmines out there. Just really cool to hear her. Talk about that. Oh, and then I had to chuckle at the uh, breakouts versus keynotes distinction between the, the types of speakers, whether you live in Expertville or whether you live in Visionary Town. I just really underlined a really cool way of thinking about the differentiation between those two uh, types of uh, speakers and, and the types of sessions. One more time, uh, you can hear more from Kate Donovan at Fried the Burnout Podcast. Dot com. And we'll have a link obviously in the show notes, but I think that's it for this episode Make sure that you tune in next week for a completely different discussion Just remember again that we'd like people to subscribe and give us a positive review on Apple podcasts or wherever you happen to be listening We want to know if we're being helpful and are always looking for interesting questions to ponder We're collectively on Twitter at nerd journey. So farewell listeners tune in next time as the journey continues I'm John White, at B Journeyman, for Nick Cordy, at Network Nerd Underscore, signing off.